What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind vs. Muscle podcast. Today, we got another Q&A, which tend to be my favorite, actually, because I can just rant about awesome questions, and I, I do feel like the best content and the best learning always happens from Q&As, right? And, I, and I'm a big fan of Q&A, so I'm pumped about this one. There's a lot of good questions. We're going to talk about program design. We're going to talk about clients with ridiculous food allergies, um, ways to bump up your metabolism, CBD oil, MCT oil. We're going to talk about your booty and how to build that back up because you lost too much weight and it disappeared. Mobility before your workouts, myths versus facts with the winter blues. We're going to talk about so much shit. This is going to be a jam-packed episode. But before we get on to the episode, I want to make one special announcement so you guys can actually benefit directly from this show. We are now sponsored and affiliated with Reebok One. Reebok One is Reebok's training and coaching platform, I guess you can say. They're really doing some Really cool stuff in the training industry, and they're branching out, and they're reaching out to coaches, gym owners, trainers, and it's a really, really cool experience, and I've had the t- uh, had the pleasure of working with some of them, talking with some of them, meeting with some of them, and now directly working with them. So you guys can get an awesome discount. If you're a trainer or a coach, what I want you to do is click the link in the description, in the show notes, and you can sign up for Reebok One. What you are going to get is a 40% discount on your first order and 25% For life. I know. It's insane. But it's a great discount. Not only that is you're going to actually get discounts emailed to you every single week. I feel like I'm getting something else in my email every week. It's awesome. And and every single time I get an email, it's literally some great discount or some offer that I can jump on. So if you guys want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of the movement and you want to stay in the loop for what is about to happen in the future, which I cannot really mention too much about, but let's just say if you're a trainer or a coach or a gym owner, You want to be a part of Reebok One because they're doing some great things and they're going to be launching some products and some different information, um, some content and some courses and things that you are going to be able to jump on that are literally going to change the game. So once again, click the link in the description. You get 40% off your first purchase and then 25% off for life. Reebok One, baby. All right, all right, all right. That was hella creepy. But that might be, I don't know why I just thought of this. As soon as I was getting ready to say, all right, that just came out. That might be from my favorite movie of all time, which is Days and Confused. I believe that's from Days. It's, it's Matthew McConaughey. I want to say he says that in that movie. But either way, he's a beast in that movie. And and actually, that is his first movie ever. And he, like, accidentally fell into that role. Um, somebody else was supposed to play it. He knew somebody that was in the producing line or some weird shit like that. Somehow he got into Dazed and Confused, killed it, and then he ended up becoming a very successful actor. So that is a great example of taking an opportunity that is unexpected and just going in at it, right? Take opportunities, take experiences, uh, take risks. Matthew McConaughey didn't know what he was getting into. He just knew that he was going to play a random role as like a creepy older dude in a high school stoner film in the 70s. And all of a sudden, it created a career for him. I mean, there's some greats in that movie. That was Ben Affleck's first movie. Um, there's a couple other ladies in that movie. There's a lot of good people in that movie. Anyway, I don't know where the hell that all came from. But we got a Q&A, so let's get right to it. 
I hope you guys enjoyed my Matthew McConaughey lesson of the day. Take risks. Be open to opportunities. Be open to experiences. It always pays off in the long run. Michael Williams, can you advise me what can you advise me on? I'm going to add that in there for you for grammar. Can you advise me on what resources are out there to help trainers develop their skills in the area of program design for their clients? Thank you as always. Keep up the great work. You are welcome, Michael, and I will absolutely keep up the great work. So, program design, man. Um, if if we're gonna go on like resources, it's kind of tough, right? I think that if you want to get, it, I would say like the best resources are gonna be a lot of certificates. And nowadays, honestly, shit like this. Listen to podcasts. Go on YouTube and and follow smart people on YouTube. Follow small smart people's blogs and newsletters and stuff like that. Um, extract knowledge from them. Um, I mean, Starting Strength is a, is a classic book. Practical Programming is a classic book. Those are both really good. That um, kind of lay down the basics. I would look into Greg Cook's work. I would look into Michael Boyle's work. I would look into um, Brett. Uh, can't remember his name, Brent something. He works directly with Great Cook, but essentially the the functional movement screen guys because they do a lot of good stuff um, to teach you the basics, right? So I think one thing for people to realize is the fundamental basics of program design come down to movements. So instead of thinking, you know, like should it be an upper lower split? Should it be a, um, a, a bodybuilding split? Should he do full body? Like the first thing is is I mean, yes, you need to know which which of those you're going to use, but that's more dependent on the client's goals. Then you have to dial in movement patterns. And what I mean by that is there's five fundamental movement patterns, push, pull, hip hinge, knee dominant movements like a squat or a lunge. And then uh, essentially we would consider this rotation slash anti-rotation, but we're going to change that to just core because it could be plank, could be flexion, could be anti-flexion, uh, anti-extension, anti-lateral rotation, anti-lateral flexion um, because you can do anything, right? You can do a plank. You can do stability drills. You can do hanging knee raises. You can do farmer's carries. You can do um, ro- uh, rotational stuff like chops or um, Russian twist. But those are the movement patterns, right? So once we lock that down, we need to look at like, okay, if they're doing a full body day, we should probably have each one of those movement patterns in that full body training session. If they're doing three times a week uh, full body training, then we can kind of dial it in a little bit more as far as the pushes and the pulls, right? So maybe one day we're dominant on our horizontal pushing and one day we're dominant on our vertical pushing. Same thing with pulling, right? Or you do a little bit of everything. If you're going to outweigh on anything, you should probably outweigh on horizontal rowing. Um, and as far as pressing goes, horizontal pressing, just because it's going to be a little bit safer on 99% of people, um, Based on what I've seen with scapular movement and lack of shoulder mobility and thoracic mobility and things like that. Um, but that's step one. Uh, another great resource for you to start dialing in the rest, which is going to be sets, rest, um, volume, um, intensity, frequency, tempo, things like that. So you can really start to play around with things and then understand the order of importance, right? Like I think people get screwed up when they make a crazy and training program and they have all these crazy exercises in it and they're doing five second negatives with three second iso holds and then they're doing a two second concentric and then the next rep they're going to do a drop set and all this crazy shit when that is like the least of importance right so we want to look at number one first and foremost number one is adherence right so if i program you out four days a week on an upper lower body split but you tell me that you hate doing upper body lower body splits you can't train four days a week 
I have to adjust, right? You're not going to be able to adhere to that program and that's why adherence is number one, the foundation. If they can't follow the program, then the program is not right for them. It's not going to work. Number two is going to be um, total sets, volume, uh, frequency, how many times a week you're training, right? So overall volume and in, in intensity and frequency is really what creates results. How hard are you going each session? Because if you're going too hard too often, you're not going to have recovery. If you're not going hard enough, you're not going to stimulate change. You're not going to create adaptation, enough stress to cause adaptation. Um, And then we got to look at volume. Like how much volume are you doing? Are you doing too much or too little? What's your goal? If your goal is predominantly strength, then we want to lean more on the intensity versus the volume. If your goal is hypertrophy or fat loss, we might want to focus more on volume through uh, higher reps, more sets, stuff like that. So this is what what comes into play most. And then a frequency, of course, is kind of your training split. Are you doing each muscle group twice a week, three times a week, once a week? So that kind of depends on that too. Next, we're going to look at exercise selection. What exercise is right for that person? Now that we got the fundamental basics of how to set up their total program, we have to look at which exercise are going to be best for them. Usually, they should be more simple than like people like to make them, but that is going to be next. Then we're going to look at rest periods. How long are you resting between sets? Studies show that it really doesn't matter too much for the most part. You don't want to rest too long and get stiff, but but you don't want to be so short that you're taking less than a minute in between heavy sets and you're not able to lift the right intensity or the right amount of volume that we already set up because you're rushing through your rest periods. And then last but not least, we look at tempos. Slow-ass negatives, pauses, things like that. Those are the little things we tweak when we get more advanced. Um, But if you want to dig more into that, the Muscle and Strength Pyramids by Eric Helms and Andy Morgan are are really, really good. Um, They dial that in and all together in like a 100-page ebook, um, and and it really teaches you a lot of that. Um, So overall, I would say like if you want to read a book, read that first and foremost. Read Practical Programming, which is good. It's just a little bit older. Um, If you want to get really into movement, Specifically, you should read Kelly Sturette's uh, The Supple Leopard. Um, and, and more important than anything, if you want to get hands on with all this stuff, go reach out to people. Go mentor under somebody. Go coach under somebody. I've had multiple people reach out to me. I mentored with multiple people and I'm still mentoring with people, right? There's a, I think that's such an undervalued thing. Like, go reach out to a coach so that coach can coach you. How to fucking coach. It, it's really, really important to have a mentor um, and and go to events, right? Like if you want to get really good at like the stuff Theo does with mobility and movement and stretching and all that stuff, go do FRC. Go do uh, kin stretch. Go do stuff like that, right? Uh, do the strong first stuff. If you want to dial in your nutritional program, go do Jason Phillips uh, Nutritional Coaching Institute. It's a great event. Um, so there's a lot of ways to go about it. But I think that for the most part – Resources-wise, that's going to be your best bet, reaching out to somebody directly. Um, and then just go in blog search, right? Look at my blog. Look at uh, the Personal Training Development Center. Um, look at uh, – what's it? I think it's called rippedbody.com. Andy Morgan's uh, website is a really good one too. Um, if you want to get into the bodybuilding-specific stuff, 3DMJ. If you want to go into powerlifting and strength, go to EliteFTS.com. T-Nation even has some good stuff, but it's there's there's so many places to go. Right, so that's about all I got to say on that one. Sarah King wants to know how to help a client who has ridiculous food allergies, can't have gluten, eggs, fish, or basically anything good with keeping calories and metabolism up. Jeez. So, um, the easiest answer for uh, I'm going to answer the second part first. The easiest way to keep calories and metabolism up, assuming you can't eat 
eat many foods uh, because you're allergic to everything is just to eat more of the same foods because at the end of the day, metabolism is a direct correlation of your movement every day, your recovery, so how well are you recovering and sleeping, um, and how many calories you're taking in per day. So if I can only really eat chicken, turkey, and damn, she yeah. Gluten, eggs, fish, and basically – that's crazy. Um, If I can only eat chicken, turkey, and green veggies and sweet potatoes, then I'm just going to eat a shit ton of that, right? I'm going to get my fats from um, algae oil because I can't have fish, so I can't have omega-3s through fish, and I can't have omega-3s through eggs. So I'm probably going to have some like ghee or butter to get some saturated fats. I'm going to have avocados to get that uh, good – fats from like monounsaturated, polyunsaturated stuff because you got to have a balance. So you're getting olive oil too. Um, You're going to want to get algae oil is going to be a replacement for fish oil because that's another omega-3 that's really good for you. But essentially, I'm just coconut oil, get some multi-chain triglycerides. You're going to just want to get a bunch of different stuff, as many of those things as you can get, and then just eat a ton of it, right? Meal prepping is going to be the easiest thing for her. But at the end of the day, like She's not going to not eat. So somebody who knows they can't eat that much, they're already – so like in my experience with people who have serious food allergies, it's not like a battle usually. Like right when I get somebody who has IBS or Crohn's disease or something along those lines and they tell me I can't have these things, it's usually not a big struggle for me to be like, hey, like we really got to cut the habit of eating fast food or eating this shitty food or whatever it may be because um, at the end of the day – they're experiencing IBS. They're experiencing serious gut issues. Or if she has food allergies, like for instance, I have a, the only food allergy I seriously have is eczema. Like when I eat certain things, eczema comes out. I don't get tempted to eat those things because I fucking hate when I get eczema, right? So people who have ridiculous food allergies typically can stay pretty strong with not eating those foods. Um, so I doubt she'll have a hard time. He or she will have a hard time with just getting their calories in from other foods because at the end of the day, like that's their only option, right? And they know they need to do that. So the other thing would be just sleep because metabolism is going to be directly related to your hormones like thyroid, right? And cortisol and and inflammation and these different things that happen in your body. Um, So if you're not sleeping, you're not training right, then that's going to be an issue. Um, So the best thing to do with a client like that and trying to help them is just help them structure a plan, like right? Help them create a meal plan or a couple meal plans that they can kind of bounce back and forth with. Okay, like what foods can we eat? Okay, let's 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 discover and like explore as many foods as possible that might not be the typical foods. Maybe we got to get some weird shit. There's some weird vegetables and fruit out there that I've never even heard of, but she might be able to eat. He might be able to eat. So help them discover what they can eat and help them learn how to create a meal plan so they can switch things up a little bit. And then the most part is just keeping that structure so they can actually eat the same thing over and over again uh, because they need to in order to get their calories in and keep their metabolism up. Another question from Sarah King. Can you also state your opinion on CBD oil? My mom uses my mom's clients use it claiming it that it helps anxiety, decreases inflammation, and makes them feel better. Dot dot dot. Maybe they just want to get high. How does this affect training, recovery, and perceived soreness? Etc. Okay, so um I think CBD oil is great. I mean uh, it's tough, you know, like I don't know who's listening to this right now because there's people all over the world essentially listening to this. But at the end of the day, I live in Seattle and in Seattle, weed is just not that big of a deal. So to me, like getting high isn't a crazy thing. I personally don't get high, but I just don't 
Like I don't see an issue with it. I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of – I know a lot of successful people that use CBD oil and smoke weed all the time and they're still successful. So to each his own. Um, so I don't have like a, like a negative opinion on it but I will say that – I mean studies show that the shit works. I mean there's a lot of studies that show this stuff through – whether it's through cancer patients or it's just regular people who are trying to reduce inflammation. It shows, especially CBD oil, it shows that it does help with anxiety and it does decrease inflammation in their joints. Um, And you know what? They are probably feeling better because they're getting a little bit high. So at the end of the day, like my opinion is that um, I'm not not somebody that uses it or practices it. I've never personally used um, CBD oil. And I, I haven't smoked weed in years, so it's it's I don't really have an opinion on either one of them. But um, the studies show they both work. I mean, at the end of the day, they do decrease anxiety in a lot of people. They do help heal a lot of different things. Um, and there's just more and more research coming out uh, with CBD oil talking about stress relief um, and decreasing inflammation. And we got to remember that de- uh, inflammation happens across the entire body, in the brain, in the joints, in the gut. And a lot of times, increased inflammation leads to increased cortisol and, and, and vice versa, right? Either way, increased inflammation can make movement really hard, but it can also stall fat loss. It can stall digestion properly. It can create brain fog. So if these people are experiencing these results through uh, CBD oil, I think it's great. Now, if, if this isn't working for them and it's all placebo... I still think it's great because at the end of the day, they are getting a result and they're happy with that result. Uh, but I will say like from what I've seen, the studies are, are pretty pretty uh, compelling and, and, and they make me believe that it does work. I mean they're, they're pretty convincing. Martin – oh shit. I'm going to butcher this one. Martin Ludvigsen. Ludvigsen. I think it's Ludvigsen. Don't know if you're, you've covered this one but MCT oil. Especially C8 has been a hot topic for a while. Do you use or recommend MCT oil? If so, how and when would you use it? Mornings, pre-workout, or dot, 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 question mark. So um, we have not really – I think we have covered MCT oil before, but we haven't covered it recently. I I consume MCT oils every single day, but it's through coconut oil. So MCT is just multi-chain triglyceride. It's just a type of fat, Um, and it's found in coconut oil. MCT oil is really just refined, extracted fat, triglyceride fat out of coconut oil. So coconut oil is the whole thing. I personally recommend coconut oil over MCT oil because there's more nutrients inside coconut oil than just MCT oil. Yes, it has a great fat source. Yes, it's it's there's plenty of multi-chain triglycerides in it. Uh, but at the end of the day, coconut oil also has – a lot of vitamins and minerals that are great for you, right? And you can use it for cooking. You can use it for your skin, uh, everything. I use it on my eczema. It's, it's great. I cook my eggs in it every single morning. I think it's really, really good. And I actually recommend everybody consume it every single day because it has some metabolic boosting effects um, that have been shown in studies. Like it, it has been shown that cooking or eating, consuming saturated fat through coconut oil can help you literally on a regular basis. So multi-chain triglyceride fats from coconut oil are great. MCT oil got popular because people realized that uh, these the, the type of fats inside of coconut oil were helping the metabolism and they were also easily converted into ketones or um, energy essentially inside the liver. So when we consume fat Regular fat, whether that's from whole eggs or an avocado or fish oil or salmon or eggs or, wh- or whatever, butter, it, 
it's not a great fuel source, right? Unless you're in ketosis already and your body is rapidly producing ketones every single day, fat just isn't a good fuel source. We know this, right? Carbohydrates are broken down into glucose and then glucose is broken down inside the muscles, uh, glycogen stores, so we can directly use that for fuel. Fats don't do that for us. Fats fuel our brain a little bit. Fats fuel our hormones. Fats fuel like me talking on this podcast. I'm sitting down and I'm just talking. I'm not moving fast. It's low intensity, right? So um, I'm not a huge fan of um, relying on it. Now, the reason – so let me break down this even more for him because he's asking about C8. So if anybody doesn't know C8, C8 stands for carbon-8. So inside these multi-chain triglycerides, there's carbons, right? Carbons of fat. And these carbons are numbered. And essentially, the the lower the number, um, the more refined – the carbon is, the more refined the MCT, the multi-chain triglyceride oil is. The more refined it is, um, and which means the lower the number, um, the easier your body will convert it into energy or into ketones essentially. So they uh, started with – like I think the original one was C12. Then they made C10. Now they made C8. C6 is apparently the, the fastest converting but they don't even sell it because it's not – it hasn't been created yet but they talk about it um, from what I've read. But essentially C8 is just the type – the amount, the carbon in it and and what that means is it converts into your liver. It converts into ketones a little bit quicker. So if you are in ketosis, having a C8 MCT oil might be a good idea for you because it's going to convert quicker. If you are – the only time I've ever recommended MCT oil to anybody is actually if they are in ketosis. Um, I've had a couple clients do uh, ketosis with me and um, I'm just not a big fan. To be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of uh, ketogenic dieting. Um, I'm, I've, I've actually helped somebody with a ketogenic ebook project. Um, I'm a ghostwriter for it so I'm never named on it but essentially I helped them create the book and and I had to do a lot of research on the ketogenic diet to, to do it. And, and yes, it does work and there's a lot of compelling information showing that it's great for disease prevention or uh, more actually more so disease re- re- rehabilitation. So if you've already been struck with cancer, then I think it's a great way to go. Um, if you've been struck with uh, multiple sclerosis, it's a great way to go. It's not necessarily going to prevent those things, so I don't want people to take that out of context. And there's been a lot of people who have came out in the media trying to take that out of context and saying that that's the route to avoiding cancer and avoiding these diseases, which is not completely true. But that being said, the people I put onto it um, were already down 80 plus pounds and they were at a very long lasting plateau. And I believe that they were um, insulin resistant and that's why their body was not allowing them to burn any more body fat. And so at that point, we introduced a ketogenic diet and it helped them break through that plateau and lose some more weight. One person got right off of it, went back to a normal diet, and then the other person actually enjoyed it and it fit their lifestyle. So they stuck with it out of their own choice, which is totally fine. Um, but those two people, I added MCT oil into their, into their day and I actually had them do it. Um, they both trained in the morning. So it was part of their morning shake. We had a morning shake that they did, um, um, with their coffee and everything. And it it really was just because that was their pre-workout meal. I wanted something that was rapidly absorbed and utilized for fuel for their training. Now, if you're a regular person and you're not on a ketogenic diet, 
I just don't see the the need for MCT oil. I think it's a waste of your fat calories. I would rather you see see you eating coconut oil, whole eggs, uh, butter, avocado, olive oil, and getting a wide variety of fats because fats are so valuable and they're really calorically dense, right? Like one gram of fat has nine calories. That's more than double the amount of calories in one gram compared to protein and carbs. So we shouldn't be wasting these on oil in my opinion. I don't want to drink my calories practically from fat, right? I would rather spend it on things, especially if if I am going to be cooking in these things so I can avoid the artificial cooking sprays. That's a lot of calories, right? One tablespoon of coconut oil is a good amount of calories, a good amount of fat. So if you're not on a ketogenic diet, I really just don't recommend it. I don't think it's I think it's kind of pointless. I would rather see you cooking it. Um, and I think the whole C8 thing is somewhat hype. I think, yes, it might convert a little bit quicker. But I think you're splitting hairs at that point because MCT oil, regardless, is going to convert quick if you're already in ketosis. So it might be marketing hype. All right. Next question. We got Christine Christiana. Almost butchered that one too. Christiana Funmi. She has three questions, so we're going to break down all three for her. The first one, core activation exercise to improve my stiff leg deadlift. My lower back tends to take over, and I don't feel it in my hamstrings as much. So I think there's a couple things. One, it might not even be your core. Uh, What I would say is before you do stiff leg deadlifts, maybe try activating your glutes. A lot of people have sleepy butt syndrome and their glutes do not fire properly. And when you go into any type of deadlift without your glutes firing, your spinal erectors, your QL, all these lower back muscles are more likely to engage and pull. Um, I also, if it is core, um, what I would suggest is number one, wearing a weight belt because this way you can breathe into the belt and get that diaphragmatic breathing, that diaphragmatic stability in your core before you go into that deadlift, especially on a stiff leg deadlift. The other thing I would say, make sure you're bending your knees. I see a lot of people do stiff leg deadlifts and they literally lock out their knees and there's no there's no way possible to get low enough in a, de- in a stiff leg deadlift um, and not hurt your back or not stretch your back or not even just flex your lower back, your lumbar spine while keeping your knees locked out. So you have to bend your knees. And and honestly, like a stiff leg deadlift, I think is overrated. Even I do a lot. I do a lot of stiff leg deadlifts, but they're more like a Romanian deadlift. And the difference is really just a little bit higher hip hinge, right? So what I would suggest is bending your knees enough to where you can sit back into your glutes and hamstrings more and still feel that stretch. Sometimes that's what you need to do, right? If you're flexible enough to get to the floor and you're not feeling your hamstrings, try bending your knees and sitting further back into it. Keep the barbell literally sliding down your legs so it stays close and your shoulders stay packed. Those are going to be your best recommendations. Um, As far as core activation exercises to improve your stiff leg deadlift, I mean, you don't need to get crazy or sexy here. I think the smartest thing to do is do like command-based cueing uh, planks, right? So get in a plank and set a timer that has like 10-second intervals. So every 10 seconds, it beeps. At 10 seconds, Drive your elbows into the floor like you're dragging the carpet as hard as you possibly can. Lock out your knees and push your heels to the wall behind you. Keep your glutes fired and tuck your tailbone towards your belly button while pulling your ribcage down. Do that and create as much tension in that position as possible for 10 seconds. Once the buzzer goes off again, relax. Next 10 seconds, do it again. You can do three to six intervals of this and your core will be on fire. 
Because a lot of people look, you can hold a plank for four minutes. That's not impressive to me. But if you're sprinting, if you're jumping, if you're deadlifting, if you're squatting and your your core doesn't automatically engage when you need it most, then that long ass plank is useless, right? So I think the smartest thing to do is like command base um, core activation like I just explained and then wearing a belt and then practicing on actually uh, performing your deadlift a little bit better. Her second question, if you do mobility before your training workout, your main workout, do you still need to stretch out after training? Just curious. Um, I think it depends, right? Like, uh, yes, because first of all, mobility and stretching are two different things, right? Mobility is moving the joints through functional range of motion, whereas stretching is stretching the muscle, literally. So... In that sense, yes, you would need to because they're two different things. But in the sense of you have – like I would never say you need to stretch after training. I think stretching is a little bit overrated. I think if you're extremely tight, focus on stretching those movements. Um, if you want to build more muscle through stretching, I would suggest stretching in between your sets when you're doing hypertrophy-focused workouts. If you're trying to max squat, don't stretch your quads while in between the sets. But if you're doing higher rep goblet squats, if you're doing lunges, and, and your main goal is building muscle, I think intra-set stretching is really beneficial. Um, and same with after-workout stretching on those muscles you just worked. But I do not think you need to do it no matter what. I think it's very individualized. Um, and mobility and stretching are two different things. So I do think you need mobility at the beginning of your workout regardless. Third one. My bum is- – <laughs> I think it's funny when people call it bum. The third question is, my bum shrunk when my body fat dropped. Can I build it back up or is it gone forever? Yes, I am vain. Don't judge me. Laugh aloud. Um, I don't think that's vain at all. We all have that muscle, right? Everybody here knows I love doing curls like like there's no tomorrow because I want big arms, so I get it. Um, what I would say is, yes, you can, but you need to – like you can't – so if you dropped weight, you got to ask yourself, are you in a serious caloric deficit? Because if you're in a crazy caloric deficit and you're still trying to lose body fat, it's going to be hard to build that muscle because you're you're in such a caloric deficit and you need at least a caloric maintenance to build muscle. Um, so what I would say is put the fat loss on pause, bring your calories up to a maintenance level, maybe a little bit above and start cranking out hip thrusts like there's no tomorrow, right? Like just do hella hip thrust. Frequency is going to be really good here too. Like so uh, what I would suggest is maybe you're doing a full body program or you're doing an upper lower split or whatever you're doing. Uh, three days a week you should be hitting the glutes. So uh, two days you're actually hitting your legs hard. Um, one day it's like heavy in the lower reps of like since you're a female, I usually go with anywhere between five to eight reps. I don't go too low. Um, and then one day you're doing like 12 to 15 and then on an extra day you're doing like 20 to 25 reps. So like high, high rep training um and yeah it's going to help you grow like just because you lost weight and your body fat dropped there i would say that you just need to focus on doing the right exercises now i would go back to your deadlift question and say that maybe you do have sleepy butt syndrome and that's why your glutes haven't grown is because um they're asleep right your your glutes aren't activating and that might be why your lower back's hurting after deadlifting um so maybe you do need to do more glute activation you need to do more uh Hip hip thrusts, glute bridges, um, band resistor Romanian deadlifts are great for them. Um, regular conventional deadlifts, frog pumps, um, deficit lunges, glute dominant lunges, all these different things are great. Step ups are great. Um, so the key is just training it. So you you absolutely can build it back up, but remember you can't be in a serious deficit and accept, uh, expect to build a lot of muscle. Gail asked, myth or fact? The winter blues can have an impact on your training, feeling more tired, less motivation to go to the gym, etc. 
Um, yeah, I absolutely think that. I think that um, shitty cold weather is going to bring you down, right? And I think like that's why people shit in California are probably training year-round. Over here, everybody's like – it's like the worst gym gym hours for anybody working at a gym uh, or worst gym season, I should say, for anybody working at a gym is, is like you know the winter, December, January. January picks back up obviously, but like October, November, December is tough because it's the end of the year. It's winter. It's the holidays. Um, it's kind of – we all want to be cozy and sit inside. So I think it depends. Um, and I think it's a mindset thing, right? Like if you're – if you uh, keep the heat on, if you are a motivated individual, if you do meditation, you do positive focus, you do gratitude journals, you do these things that are going to fire you up every morning, I think that can change. I don't think it's – I think the winter blues are a real thing and I, I do think naturally when it is colder and darker out more frequently, I think our body kind of just – slows down a little bit right people kind of get negative people kind of get sad like it's kind of weird but it's i think it's true um but i do think it's uh something that you can beat over i don't think it's like oh well it's the winter we're fucked i think that i think it's something you can absolutely overcome if you decide to and i think you should decide to (laughs) michelle mason she said bracing slash breathing in the front squat i have a harder time bracing here than any other lift I have been reading a lot about it and would love to hear your thoughts. Cues, drills to improve. Um, cool. So I think this is a great question. I think that um, if, you, if you're if you struggling to do this at all, I think the best thing to do is um, wear a belt. I'm going to go back to that because I just think that like wearing a belt is such a great external cue, right? It's hard to – practice diaphragmatic breathing if you don't have an external cue, right? When I teach clients uh, like a 90-90 diaphragmatic breathing with like, so their feet is on the wall, their back is on the, um, their back, low back pressed against the floor, feet on the wall in a 90 degree angle, knees, um, their diaphragmatic breathing, we're trying to reset their hips. I touch their lower belly. I poke their belly and I say, breathe into my hand, breathe into my hand, breathe into my hand because they need that external feedback because at first you'll see them, they're breathing through their chest, they're breathing through their neck and as soon as they feel that touch, that external cue from my finger touching their lower abdomen, all of a sudden they're starting to breathe through their belly, right? And they're filling their diaphragm up in a three-dimensional way. So I think that is very important and the only way to do that while you're lifting is to wear a belt. So that's my first thing. I would say wear a belt. Um, The next thing is, is pause at every point of the rep, right? So start at the top, have a big pause, breathe into your lower belly, breathe into that belt if you're wearing one. Take that deep breath, drop into the squat. Once you hit the bottom of the squat, pause one second, pop back through and exhale that air while pulling your rib cage down. That's one rep. So now I'm paused back at the top. I'm going to breathe again. So start lighter weight and focus on breathing through each and every rep until it's a natural thing that you're constantly doing. Um, I would also suggest just doing like alligator breathing or doing diaphragmatic breathing like I was just talking about. Lay on the floor. Put your feet uh, feet on the wall, knees in a 90-degree angle and just breathe, right? Um, I think the best thing to do is really just just – practice the act of breathing in general, right? I do this every day when I meditate. When I, whether I'm sitting or laying down, I practice on just focusing on my breath and where that breath is coming from. And I focus on it coming from, from my lower stomach. Um, and this is just going to train my body to breathe through that area of my body. And once I get really good at that, it becomes no issue when I uh, when I get under the bar. Whether I'm doing a front squat, back squat, deadlift, it doesn't matter. It's natural, right? Um, and that's been a huge thing for me since I started CrossFit because it's really hard to focus on diaphragmatic breathing when my heart's pounding through the roof. Um, the other day we did a, 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 like the Metcon finisher was 
horrible just to throw this out there so we're doing olympic lifting so we started with cleans uh power cleans full cleans jerks stuff like that it was great then we went to this metcon and it was like every minute on the minute for 10 minutes but you switched every other minute so minute one you're doing 12 calories on the rower which doesn't seem like much but trust me 12 calories on the rower rower smokes you after five minutes um and then uh the next minute you're doing 10 deadlifts with whatever weight you can do essentially but the weight given was 225 so you know 225 pound deadlift after you're doing the rower and you're five minutes in your heart's pounding it's hard to focus on that breathing but because it's become a natural thing to me it was easy for me to do and i have no issues like today i feel great like there's there wasn't any low back issues there's no there's no pain there's no injuries but a lot of people don't get taught how to do that properly um and i would say that the reason i've been able to do so so well is because i practice while i'm not at the gym i practice at home when i'm meditating right i i do this breathing after i'm done training um i do wear a belt quite often because i want to keep like signaling my mind from an external cue to actually breathe into that belt it just makes it so much easier um as far as cues the best cue that i've had is is external right like having a thing touch my stomach or a finger or a hand or the belt Uh, but also from a mindset perspective is sucking through a straw if you tell somebody to suck through a straw or if you have somebody suck like literally uh, blow air into a balloon and then suck it up, like you'll see that they use their lower belly easier. Um, so there's a balloon trick you can do when you're breathing through a balloon. Um, but a good way to just think about it is literally suck through a straw. So if I imagine I'm sucking through a straw, you have to kind of pucker your lips and, and, and close that gap a little bit more. And for some reason, that just really works well to uh, breathe through the lower belly. All right, guys, that is all I got for you today. Uh, we cranked out a lot of questions. I'm, I'm pumped with these answers. I hope you guys are liking this. If you can do me a huge favor, a couple huge favors. One, one more time, if you guys are a trainer, a coach, a gym owner, go to the Reebok link in the profile, get a 40% discount and 25% off all purchases for life. And there's going to be some cool things coming up in the future that you will have access to if you sign up now. So I highly suggest doing that through that link. Um, and then the next thing is, guys, if you are liking the show, if you appreciate our answers, and if you are staying tuned with us on a weekly basis, please do us a favor if you haven't already and go leave us an iTunes rating and review. If you're already subscribed, you have to still search us in the iTunes store. We really, really appreciate that and it helps us keep this thing going. I'll talk to you guys next time.